Chapter Twenty Two, Part One of East Lynne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. East Lynne by Mrs. Henry Wood. Chapter Twenty Two, Part One. Mrs. Hare's Dream. The next day rose bright, warm, and cloudless, and the morning sun streamed into the bedroom of Mrs. Hare. Mr. and Mrs. Hare were of the old-fashioned class who knew nothing about dressing-rooms. Their bedrooms were very large, and they never used a dressing-room in their lives, or found the want of one. The Justice rubbed his face to a shining brilliancy, settled on his morning wig and his dressing-gown, and then turned to the bed. "'What will you have for breakfast?' "'Thank you, Richard. I do not think I can eat anything. I shall be glad of my tea. I am very thirsty.' "'All nonsense,' responded the Justice, alluding to the intimation of not eating. "'Have a poached egg.' Mrs. Hare smiled at him and gently shook her head. "'You are very kind, Richard, but I could not eat this morning. Barbara may send up the smallest bit of dry toast. Would you please throw the window open before you go down? I should like to feel the air.' "'You will get the air too near from this window,' replied Mr. Justice Hare, opening the further one. Had his wife requested that the further one to be open, he would have opened the other. His own will and opinions were ever paramount. Then he descended. A minute or two, and up ran Barbara, looking bright and fair as the morning, her pink muslin dress with its ribbon and its open white lace sleeves as pretty as she was. She leaned over to kiss her mother.' "'Mamma, are you ill? And you have been so well lately. You went to bed so well last night, Papa says.' "'Barbara, dear,' interrupted Mrs. Hare, glancing around the room with dread and speaking in a deep whisper. "'I have had one of those dreadful dreams again.' "'Oh, Mamma, how can you?' exclaimed Barbara, starting up in vexation. "'How can you suffer a foolish dream to overcome you as to make you ill?' You have good sense in other matters, but in this you seem to put all sense away from you. Child, will you tell me how I am to help it? returned Mrs. Hare, taking Barbara's hand and drawing her to her again. I do not give myself the dreams. I cannot prevent them making me sick, prostrate and feverish. How can I help these things, I ask? At this moment the bedroom door was flung open, and the face of the justice, especially stern and cross, then was pushed in. So startled was Mrs. Hare that she shook till she shook the pillow, and Barbara sprang away from the bed. Surely he had not distinguished their topic of conversation. "'Are you coming to make the breakfast today or not, Barbara? Do you expect me to make it?' "'She is coming this instant, Richard,' said Mrs. Hare, her voice more faint than usual, and the justice turned and stamped down again. "'Barbara, could your papa have heard me mention Richard?' "'No, no, Mamma. impossible. The door was shut. "'I will bring up your breakfast myself, and then you can tell me the dream.' Barbara flew after Mr. Hare, poured out his coffee, saw him settled at his breakfast, with a plateful of grouse pie before him, and then returned upstairs with a Mamma's tea and dry toast. "'Go on with your dream, Mamma," she said. "'But your breakfast will be cold, child. "'Oh, don't mind that. Did you dream of Richard?' Not very much of Richard, except that the old and continuous trouble of his being away and unable to return seemed to pervade it all through. You remember, Barbara, Richard asserted to us in that short hidden night visit 
that he did not commit the murder, that it was another who did. Yes, I remember it, replied Barbara. Barbara, I am convinced he spoke the truth. I trust him implicitly. I feel sure of it also, Mamma. I asked him, you remember, whether it was Otway Bethel who committed it, for I have always doubted Bethel in an indefinite vague manner. Richard replied it was not Bethel, but a stranger. Well, Barbara, in my dream I thought that stranger came to West Lynn, that he came to this house here, and we were talking to him of him, conversing as we might with any other visitor. Mind you, we seemed to know that he was the one who actually did it, but he denied it. He wanted to put it upon Richard, and I saw him, yes I did, Barbara, whisper to Otway Bethel. But, oh, I cannot tell you the sickening horror that was upon me throughout, and seemed to be upon you also, lest he should make good his own apparent innocence, and crush Richard his victim. I think the dread and horror awoke me. What was he like, this stranger? asked Barbara in a low tone. Well, I cannot quite tell. The recollection of his appearance seemed to pass away from me with the dream. He was dressed as a gentleman, and we conversed with him as an equal. Barbara's mind was full of Captain Thorne, but his name had not been mentioned to Mrs. Hare, and neither would she mention it now. She fell into deep thought, and Mrs. Hare had to speak twice before she could be aroused. Barbara, I say, don't you think this dream, coming uncalled for, uninduced, must forebode some ill? Rely upon it. Something connected with that wretched murder is going to be stirred up again. You know I do not believe in dreams, was Barbara's answer. I think when people say, this dream is a sign of such and such a thing, it is the greatest absurdity in the world. I wish you could remember what the man seemed like in your dream. I wish I could, answered Mrs. Hare, breaking off a particle of her dry toast. All I can remember is that he appeared to be a gentleman. Was he tall? Had he black hair? Mrs. Hare shook her head. I tell you, my dear, remembrance has passed from me. So whether his hair was black or light, I cannot say. I think he was tall, but he was sitting down, and Otway Bethel stood behind his chair. I seemed to feel that Richard was outside the door in hiding, trembling lest the man should go out and see him there, and I trembled too. Oh, Barbara, it was a distressing dream. I wish you could avoid having them, Mamma, for they seem to upset you very much. Why did you ask whether the man was tall and had black hair? Barbara returned an evasive answer. It would not do to tell Mrs. Hare that her suspicions pointed to one particular quarter. It would have agitated her too greatly. So vivid was the dream she could scarcely persuade herself, when she awoke, that it was not real, and the murderer actually at West Lynn. "'Oh, Barbara, Barbara!' she exclaimed in a wailing tone. "'When will this mystery be cleared, and my own restored to me?' Seven years since he stole here to see us, and no tidings yet. People say that changes come every seven years, Mamma said Barbara, hopefully. But I will go down and send you up some more tea. And guard your countenance well, returned her mother. Don't let your father suspect anything. Remember his oath to bring Richard to justice. If he thought we dwelt on his innocence, there is no knowing what he might do to find him. He is so very just. So very cruel and unnatural, I call it, Mamma. 
but never fear my betraying anything. But have you heard about Joyce? No, what is it? She had a severe fall while playing with little Isabel, and it is said she will be confined to bed for several weeks. I am very sorry for her. And, composing her face, she descended to the breakfast room. The dinner hour at the Hare's, when they were alone, was four o'clock, and it arrived that day as usual, and they sat down to table. Mrs. Hare was better then. The sunshine and the business of stirring life had in some measure effaced the visions of the night, and restored her to her wonted frame of mind. The cloth removed, the justice sat but a little while over his port wine, for he was engaged to smoke an after-dinner pipe with the brother magistrate, Mr. Justice Herbert. "'Shall you be home to tea, Papa?' inquired Barbara. "'Is it any business of yours, young lady?' "'Oh, not in the least,' answered Miss Barbara. "'Only if you had been coming home to tea, I suppose we must have waited, had you not been in time.' "'I thought you said, Richard, that you were going to stay the evening with Mr. Herbert,' observed Mrs. Hare. "'So I am,' responded the Justice. "'But Barbara has a great liking for the sound of her own tongue.' The justice departed, striding pompously down the gravel walk. Barbara waltzed round the large room to a gleeful song, as if she felt his absence a relief. Perhaps she did. You can have tea now, Mamma, at any time you please, if you are thirsty, without waiting till seven, quoth she. Barbara, said Mrs. Hare. What, Mamma? I am sorry to hear of the calamity which has fallen upon Joyce. I should like to walk to Eastlin this evening and inquire after her, and see her if I may. It would be but neighbourly. I feel quite equal to it. Since I have accustomed myself to take more exercise, I feel better for it, you know. And we have not been out to-day. Poor Joyce! What time shall we go, Barbara? If we were to get there by, by seven, I should think, their dinner will be over then. Yes, answered Mrs. Hare with alacrity, who was always pleased when somebody else decided for her. But I should like some tea before we start, Barbara. Barbara took care that her mamma should have some tea, and then they proceeded towards East Lynn. It was a lovely evening, the air warm, and the humming gnat sported in it, as if to make the most of the waning summer. Mrs. Hare enjoyed it at first, but ere she reached East Lynn, she became aware that the walk was too much for her. She did not usually venture upon half so long a one, and probably the fever and agitation of the morning had somewhat impaired her day's strength. She laid her hand upon the iron gate as they turned into the park, and stood still. I did wrong to come, Barbara. Lean on me, Mamma. When you reach those benches, you can take a good rest before proceeding to the house. It is very warm, and that may have fatigued you. They gained the benches, which were placed under some of the park trees, in front of the gates and the road, but not off the house, and Mrs. Hare sat down. Another minute and they were surrounded. Mr. Carlyle, his wife and sister, who were taking an after-dinner stroll amidst the flowers with their guest, Francis Levison, discerned them and came up. The children, except the youngest, were of the party. Lady Isabel warmly welcomed Mrs. Hare. She had become quite attached to the delicate and suffering woman. A pretty one I am, am I not, Archibald, to come inquiring after one invalid, and am so much of an invalid myself that I have to stop half-way, Mrs. Hare exclaimed, as Mr. Carlyle shook her hand. 
I was so greatly concerned to hear of poor Joyce. "'You must stay the evening, now you are here,' cried Lady Isabel. "'It will afford you a good rest, and tea will refresh you.' "'Oh, thank you, but we have taken tea,' said Mrs. Hare. "'There is no reason why you should not take some more,' she laughed. "'Indeed, you seem too fatigued to be anything but a prisoner with us for the next hour or two. "'I fear I am,' answered Mrs. Hare. "'Who the dickens are they?' Captain Levison was muttering to himself, as he contemplated the guests from a distance. "'It is a deuce pretty girl, whoever she may be. I think I'll approach. They don't look formidable.' He did approach, and the introduction was made. "'Captain Levison, Mrs. Hare, Miss Hare.' A few formal words, and Captain Levison disappeared again, challenging little William Carlyle to a foot-race. "'How very poorly your mamma looks!' Mr. Carlyle exclaimed to Barbara, when they were beyond the hearing of Mrs. Hare, who was busy talking with Lady Isabel and Miss Carlyle. "'And she appeared so much stronger lately, altogether better. "'The walk here has fatigued her. I feared it would be too long, so that she looks unusually pale,' replied Barbara. "'But what do you think it is that has upset her again, Mr. Carlyle?' He turned his inquiring eyes upon Barbara. Papa came downstairs this morning, saying Mamma was ill, that she had one of her old attacks of fever and restlessness. I declare, as Papa spoke, I thought to myself, could Mamma have been dreaming some foolish dream again? For you remember how ill she used to be after them. I ran upstairs, and the first thing that Mamma said to me was that she had had one of those dreadful dreams. I fancied she must have outlived her fear of them, that her own plain sense had come to her aid long ago showing her how futile dreams are, meaning nothing, even if hers do occasionally touch upon that, that unhappy mystery. You may just as well reason with the post as reason with Mamma when she is suffering from the influence of one of those dreams, returned Barbara. I tried it this morning. I asked her to call up, as you observe, good sense to her aid, and her reply was, how could she help her feelings? She did not induce the dream by thinking of Richard, or in any other way and yet it came and shattered her. Of course, so far, Mamma is right, for she cannot help the dreams coming. End of chapter 22, part 1